For those of you wondering, Two Rivers is where Jake used to serve. This is, <laughs> this is not Two Rivers. <clears throat> Please make out the check to Grace Point, right? <laughs> Hey, before we jump into uh, the message today, uh, for those of you here in the room and joining us online, um, I, we told you last week that we'd give you um, an update on our Advent Conspiracy offering, uh, so I get to do that um, this morning. But I want you to know um, that this money actually doesn't start getting sent out until June. Uh, that's when our new fiscal year starts. Um, so the $38,000 that you guys gave um, through our Advent Conspiracy offering is going to start going out in June to places all around the world. Um, and I know Christmas is over. Uh, maybe the Christmas bill isn't done yet, but Christmas is over. Um, but part of Advent Conspiracy is this idea that Christmas still changes the world even when it's not December. Um, and that's part of why we do what we do uh, through Advent Conspiracy. So I just want to thank those of you who gave. Um, uh, if you weren't with us Christmas Eve or you forgot or you still want to participate, that is still an option. Um, again, because we don't start sending that money around the world until um, June. So if you want to participate in that, you can give the same way uh, as you just heard um, Jake say. To, you can give to uh, Two Rivers or Twin Rivers or whatever it is. But... Um, so part two of, of Stones of Remembrance, and here's where we're going to start today. We're going to start with um, one of my favorite topics to talk about, and I have the microphone so I get to talk about it. I'm going to talk about my kids. I've got two of them. Um, my son is 18. My daughter's 15, uh, which means they're at the age where I have to get permission to talk about them in my messages. Um, and that's what I did earlier this week. But um, we don't have a ton of family traditions, but one of our family traditions is around Christmas. Uh, we'll load up in the car one night, you know, a week or so before Christmas, and we'll go to Target or Walmart or the mall or a combination of those things. And the goal of that night is to walk away with them having bought a Christmas present for each other, okay? Um, and uh, there, are, there are years where they've had a pretty good idea of what they wanted to get each other. There's some years they have no idea. Other years they needed a little help with ideas. But both of them have had years, especially when they were younger, when they got stuck between two options, or three options, like option A is a pretty good gift, but option B is pretty sweet too. And they're not really sure what to do. And, and I, I, as a dad, like I want them to give thoughtful gifts to each other, but I also don't want to spend forever at Target. I also don't want to be stuck at Walmart for hours and hours and hours. And, and the years um, that they've been impulsive, like it takes them a total of four seconds to make up their mind. They are absolutely reflecting the way their father shops, <laughs> right? I'm in, I get it, I'm out, mission accomplished, we're done. But then there are years where they're a little bit more deliberate. They're a little slower, they're a little bit more thoughtful. You can guess which parent is more like that, right? Then, and, and if you were a fly on the wall during those years where they were indecisive, on the outside, you would see a patient father who says, take your time. There's no rush here. Just, you know, we're not in a hurry. We're just going to take our time. But on the inside, I'm dying every second that they're taking, right? It's like, just pick one. <laughs> like, just, just, just 
just make a decision, choose something, choose anything. Let's just get this done, right? And, and those of you who are parents, you, you, you've experienced both sides of those things before. And that thing that we feel as parents, like just pick, just choose, just make a decision. That's a great introduction to our character for today. Our character today is Joshua. And Joshua stands before a group of of Israelites and he challenges them to choose something far more important than a Christmas present. He challenges them to, to decide something that will actually direct their future. Ultimately, he he challenges them to decide which God is going to be in the center of their lives. And you've, many of you have heard this before, but here's, here's part of what Joshua says to them. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Pick. Make up your mind. Make a decision today who you're going to serve. He's, he's calling the people to choose between Yahweh, creator God, or any number of other gods that were available to them. Now, a couple things that you need to know. Joshua says this when he's really, really old. In fact, just just shortly after this um, speech, shortly after this address, Joshua actually dies. So I kind of envision like two helpers beside him kind of holding him up or helping him as he addresses the people. Uh, The moment this happens in the storyline of scripture is important as well. This This is decades after the Hebrew people have been freed from slavery in Egypt. Um, this is decades after they had spent 40 years wandering in the desert. They've kind of been in the promised land for quite some time. So they're in a place of safety. They're in a place of security. They're in a place of maybe even comfort. And Joshua stands before them and, and basically says to comfortable people, I want to make you a little uncomfortable. Choose. Today, pick today who you're going to serve. And and as we jump into this story, for some of you, I want to act as Joshua today. There are times where we're either forced to reach this junction or crossroad or transition in life Um, sometimes we get there on our own, but we're forced with a decision or someone presents us with a decision, choose, pick who will be at the center of your life. Who will you serve? And, And I can only imagine if dozens of you are in a place where your faith just needs that invitation where your faith needs that challenge, where it needs to be renewed or reignited or restarted or restored. And, and my prayer, my hope, like my goal for today is that God would speak to you in only a way that he can through this challenge that Joshua gives to some of his friends to do a deep, lasting work in you for some of us. It's decision day. So, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. 
If you want to open that in your Bible or your your mobile device, we'll throw these verses up on the screen as well. Um, We find out the very beginning of this chapter, Joshua has corralled the leaders of Israel from all 12 tribes. We're told that there's elders, there's leaders, there's judges, there's officials from all 12 tribes that show up to this gathering. And Joshua, like he doesn't come straight out of the gates with a challenge. Joshua actually starts with a 12 verse, 600 year history lesson. Sounds riveting, doesn't it? But for, he goes through 600 years of history of their people, of their nation in 12 verses. And rather than racing through those 12 verses, I decided to summarize and walk you through them geographically, okay? So Joshua starts way up north um, by the Euphrates River, the mouth of the Euphrates River, where their great, 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 great grandpa Abraham lived. We talked about him a little bit last week. God shows up to Abraham. He speaks to Abraham. He says, I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your country and go to a place that I will show you. I'm going to bless you. You know, sands on the seashore, stars in the sky, all that stuff. Genesis 12 happens up north by the Euphrates River. And, and he and his family journey down to that middle red dot where God blessed him with a son, Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons. We talked about them last week. His second son, Jacob, had 12 sons. Those 12 sons are what become the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of Genesis, they're a sizable family and a small clan. And eventually, this small clan moved to Egypt during a famine. That's the lower red dot. And over the course of a couple generations, they become an enslaved group in Egypt. They're there for 400 years when God sends a leader named Moses to lead them out of slavery. And the important piece in that is they didn't escape Egypt. They were rescued from Egypt. Big difference. That's going to come back later, okay? They spend 40 years in the desert, wandering and working their way back towards that middle dot. That's the land that God promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is where they find themselves presently, in in the promised land. Again, 12-verse, 600-year history lesson, where Joshua just reminds them of God's goodness. There, um, There are actually four expressions that he uses throughout these 12 verses that capture it well. He blessed us, he rescued us, he protected us, he provided for us. He blessed us, he rescued us, he protected us, he provided for us. Why would he call the leaders of Israel together and give them a history lesson? Why would he start there? And I don't know this, but I think it's because in just a few verses... Joshua will challenge them to choose who they're going to trust, who they're going to serve, and he knows they won't follow a God they don't trust. Nobody follows a God they don't trust. It's it's the same for us. If If you have a vision of God as an angry, distant, uninvolved, stingy God, you're not going to follow him. You're not going to trust him. It's one of the biggest factors in, in, in whether or not we trust God. It doesn't have to do with whether we believe him or not. It's what we believe about him. 
That, that really gets us to where, okay, can I trust him or not? And when it comes to putting God at the center of our lives, when it comes to trusting him, when it comes to choosing, one of the first steps is just to have a fresh encounter or maybe a first encounter with the goodness of God. The goodness of God in creation, the goodness of God in your own life, the goodness of God in your family. And, and I say that because it's possible to look at their story at the Israelites and go, Tim, that's their story. It's not my story. Like they were rescued from Egypt. They saw miracles firsthand. Like God gave them, God sent them, God placed them in this land flowing with milk and honey. Like I've never experienced any of that. And that's, that's true. That's absolutely right. But you and I have something they didn't. The crucifixion is the image of the self-giving nature and goodness of God. It's the image that, that, that when Jesus came for us, it's not simply that he was killed for us. He chose to suffer on our behalf. He chose to pay a debt you owed. He chose to pay a debt I owed. He chose to pay our sin debt. And like, I don't know, I know some of your stories, but I don't know everybody's story. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know um, what's happened around you to, to form your view of God who's abandoned you, um, who's hurt you, who's just flat out betrayed you. I don't know. But I hope that your faith in God can get to the point where you realize what was done for you is greater than what was done to you. I think it's possible that we can increasingly find our identity, not in what's happened to us, but what's happened for us. It's where we find our ultimate identity, in Christ. I think this is why Joshua starts with the goodness of God. They, they needed a fresh encounter. They needed to be reminded, this is, this is who God is. This is what he's done. And this is who I'm asking you to choose. And he moves real quick. <laughs> he moves real quick from the history lesson to who you're gonna follow, who you're gonna serve, which God will you place in the center of your life. And this is, um, this is where the conversation turns to the competing gods around them. Um, I want to introduce you to somebody that I have heard about my entire life, but until just a couple weeks ago in preparation for this, I had actually never seen. Uh, he resides on the campus of the University of Chicago in the Oriental Institute Museum. Here he is. Let me introduce you to the god Baal. This is the chief deity in Canaan when the Israelites entered the promised land. And some people think that he's, his, his arm is held up because he's missing a spear like he's in war, but more than likely he's missing a lightning bolt because Baal was the God who they believed was responsible for the fertility of the land. He was the one that sent rain. He was the one that allowed your crops to grow. And if you hadn't had rain for a long time, your crops don't grow, your family starves. So what do you do? 
you run off to Baal's shrine and you pray to him. You pray to the God of the harvest. Now, it's difficult to see how large this is just because of the, 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 the ratio of the picture. He's only about four inches tall, okay? This is a pocket-sized God. This is pocket-sized Baal. You can take him with you in your backpack, your purse. You, you can take him with you on a business trip, right? You can place him on the mantle there in your hotel room and pray to him the night before the big presentation that he gives you favor. This is a pocket-sized God, okay? Keep that in mind as we read what Joshua says. Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt. He's, he's, done the, he's done with the history lesson. He's it's time to clean house. Empty out your backpacks. Clean out your purses. Open up your duffel bags. Get rid of the pocket-sized gods that you have on your person right now. That's what I think he's saying. But do you notice where they got them from? from your ancestors beyond the Euphrates River. That's the land of Abraham. <laughs> These gods have been with them since Abraham? Joshua says, throw them away. Get rid of them. And then some of them they got from the gods of, of Egypt where they were enslaved for 400 years. And you go, why in the world would you do that? Well, let's think about it. If you're in slavery and your parents and grandparents continually tell you about this great God who loves us and has a plan for us, and then you look at the lives and the prosperity of your Egyptian taskmasters, don't you think you would at the very least add a couple of their gods to your mix? Wouldn't you at least think about it? This is what's happened. They've been around for a really long time. And Joshua says it's decision day. If the Lord, creator God, has blessed and rescued and provided and protected us, empty out your duffel bags. Throw them away. It's decision day. It's decision time. Get rid of the idols. But he doesn't stop there. This is just, I would never expect him to go there, but he does. He basically says, on the other hand, if you don't really want to follow the Lord, pick one. Pick another one. Here's what he says. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Lots of idols, lots of false gods out there. Pick one and do it now. Declare, choose. It's decision day. And he even gives them some suggestions. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, way up north, or the gods of the Amorites, one of the local gods, in whose land you are living right now. But make up your mind. If you don't want to serve the one who's blessed and rescued and provides and protects us, then pick one. Just pick one. But he ends with this. The wise aged leader. He's seen a lot, been through a lot. Joshua ends his section with this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You make your decision. I've already made mine. It's the proverbial line in the sand. And some of you recognize this verse. Like I recognize this verse. I'm betting some of you had it on a plaque or a doily or something like that up on your wall at home. It's a not a terrible place to be reminded of this. 
but it is so much more than a catchy Bible verse that hangs on a wall. So much more. This is a declaration of a life decision and life direction. Joshua is declaring his allegiance. His, he and his family are their allegiance to the one true God. And, and again, he draws a line in the sand. Who are you going to serve? Who, who will be at the center of your life? Now, it's, it's different for us, and it's not. It's different for us in that I doubt there are any statuettes in a corner of your house that you offer prayers to whenever it doesn't rain enough. But there is such a thing as modern-day idolatry. There is such a thing. And I think it's just best to assume that we have them, we have idols, and that they need to be evicted from our house. They need to be dethroned from our hearts from time to time. And, and an, idol, an idol is anything in my life that I look at and I go, if I had that, then I'd be secure. If I had that, then I'd have value. If I had that or if I had them, then life would be worth living. That's an idol. And it could be hundreds, if not thousands of things, but I just want to briefly touch on four that I would characterize as the usual suspects, okay? Achievement, financial stability, approval, career success. What I'd call the usual suspects. And again, you look at that, you look at that list and you go, those are good things, aren't they? Like, what's wrong with achievement? I mean, financial stability sure seems like the better option for the alternative, and approval isn't always bad, right? And career success, like, aren't we supposed to be excellent wherever we work? Like, those things kind of look like good things, Tim. Which is the twist of idolatry. It's the lie of idolatry. They surface in our life as good things until we make them ultimate things. They surface in our life as good, and we make them God. We think, well, if I just had that, then I'd be good. If I just had that, then I'd be secure. If I just had that, then I'd be comfortable. They, they, they surface as good and they become our God, but they are unreliable gods. Think about the highest level of achievement for a second, okay? Um, first weekend of the NFL playoffs, so many of us are thinking of that. If you don't do the sports ball, I know you're not thinking of it. That's okay, you don't have to. But as a football player, Making it to the NFL is the pinnacle of athletic achievement. You can't get any higher. That is the place where you have arrived. You're significant. You're secure. You've made it. The average length of an NFL career, three years, three months. Three years, three months. I know Tom Brady will be playing in his 80s, but for mere mortals... Right? Mere mortals, 3.3 years. That means you're drafted when you're 23 and you're done at 26. <laughs> what are you going to do the rest of your life? Achievement. It's fleeting. It's fleeting. Uh, financial stability. The wealth of American families. The, the, the size of our homes, our household incomes, even adjusted for eggs that you have to buy today. Like... Like inflation, right? 
All of those things have skyrocketed since 1950. They've gone up and through the roof, just like depression, alcoholism, drug use, divorce, and suicide. Financial stability ain't doing it. And yes, work hard, save wisely, invest carefully, give generously, but financial stability isn't a reliable God. Approval. Let's think about approval. Uh, A 14-year-old posts a picture on Insta and then monitors the phone to see how quickly the likes rack up. It is dangerous for a 14-year-old to hitch their self-worth to the opinions of other 14-year-olds. And most of the time, it's not, do they like my picture? In their heart, it's, do they like me? It's dangerous to hitch your self-worth to another 14-year-old, 14-year-olds. It's dangerous for 44-year-olds to hitch their self-worth to the opinions of other 44-year-olds. It's an unreliable God, and too many people are chasing it. Career success. People who make it to the top of their field where other people look at them and they go, they made it. Can I tell you what the people who made it think? Here's what they think. I've had multiple conversations. Salary is good. Benefits are good. Corner office is nice. But there's got to be more than this. If this is all there is, I don't want it. Because it doesn't do anything for me. Work hard. But one of the greatest challenges to American Christians is bringing excellence to whatever field they find themselves in without letting that career, that title, that salary be a modern day bail. Those gods, they're just, they're unreliable. They're unreliable. And Joshua does a crazy thing. He looks at the leaders in Israel and says, listen, if serving the Lord is undesirable for you, pick one, (laughs) choose one. But choose today. Make up your mind today. And there just comes a time in our lives when we need to recognize there is a competition for your heart. There there is a substitute God. There are substitute gods that we've allowed into our lives. Achievement is good, but it's not God. Financial stability is good, but it's not God. Approval is good, but it's not God. Career success is good, but it's not God. Recognize them recognize the competing gods around you. Joshua, I think he deeply desires for this group of people to renew their commitment to the Lord. So where does he begin? He begins with the goodness of God. Starts there. He challenges them to get rid of their idols. If they don't want Yahweh, pick another way, but choose today. And here's the response. Here's how the people respond To Joshua, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. They say, yes, Joshua, we agree with you. God is good. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The people go, us too. At least the leaders do. The leaders say us too. And Joshua looks at them 
And he says, good. But just in case you didn't hear me the first time. Verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you or back home in your little shrines and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And this is the moment where Joshua says, go get that stone over there and I want you to set it up on its end. It's gonna be a reminder. It's gonna be a reminder of what happened here today. They're called standing stones or stones of remembrance throughout the history of ancient Israel. There would be a significant event that happened and they would take this, these stones, they would put them up on their end and then two generations, three generations, four generations later, later the people would walk through, they would see this standing stone, they go, what's that? And they would remind each other, they would tell the story about the moment, about the decision, about the choice that was made, where their faith in God was renewed or restored or reignited. Joshua set up a stone to mark the moment, to mark the day, to mark the decision. And the good news is that decision, that moment, that renewal that happened that day, it actually stuck for a long time. And then you get to Judges, right? And I don't know, like, I don't know if you have these types of things in your life. Not, 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 not a literal standing stone. We don't do it like that anymore. But are there moments, are there decisions, are there choices that you look at in your life where you're like, that was, that was a moment for me. I, I have multiple standing stones like that in my life. Moments as a teenager, moments as a college student, moments as a, as a young husband or a young father, moments as a pastor where I can take you back to the place where God met me in an unmistakable way. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. I can take you to Washashi Camp in Oklahoma. I can take you to John Brown University. I can take you to Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I can take you to, to places in, in the church that I grew up in where I had conversations with my youth pastor. I can take you to my office where I've had moments of prayer and Bible study where it was just so obvious that this is a moment, and I didn't know it in the time, but as I look back on it, it's like, no, that's a moment. That was a decision. That was a choice. And I just wonder. I just wonder if we were to fast forward 20 years from today, if some of you might not bring your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren back to this place and point to the chair, point to the area where you're sitting right now, and tell them the story of the day that God met you, where he renewed something in you, where he reignited something in you. And you, I have no idea the name of the dude that was talking that day, but I do know, I do know God met me. I do, not, I do know God spoke to me. And that was a moment for me. That was a standing stone. That was a choice. That was a decision for me. For some of you, and I have no idea who, it's decision day. It's, it's time to, to evict the counterfeit gods and invite Jesus into the center of your life. And today, this moment can be like a stone of remembrance for you. 
There are times in our life when we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. It's decision time. And Joshua asked his audience to choose. And I just imagine there might be dozens of you that need to choose today, not next week, not next year, not when you graduate, not when you get settled, not when you're done having fun in your 20s. Choose today whom you will serve. And if that's you, we're not going to have any music, no altar call, no raising your hands. I'm simply praying that God would meet you as you open your heart to him, that he, that he would remind you of his goodness in a refreshing way, that he would pinpoint some of the idols that have become your God, and that you would make a decision, ultimately, that you would hear his voice. Ultimately, that you would experience him as the God who blesses and rescues and provides and protects. And if you ever wonder, if you ever doubt, that is who he is, I'm always going to point you to the cross. Because that was a moment for Jesus. That was a decision day for him too. And he chose you. He picked you. He decided that God's love for you would be the thing that, that ultimately is your identity. So choose, pick today. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I get to pray for us as we move into our week. Father in heaven, I just want to start by thanking you Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision, ultimately, for the provision of Christ, but also for the provision every single day of every sunset and every sandwich. He just continually bless us over and over and over and over again. God, I pray that you would, through your spirit, pinpoint and show us the false gods that we've allowed to sit on the throne of our hearts and that we would today, we would either pick you or we would pick them, but that we would choose today whom we will serve. And I pray it all in the name of the one who will ultimately, every single one of us, every single knee will bow and tongue will confess as Lord. God, I just want to start here now. I want to get a head start. Thank you, Jesus for being my Lord. Thank you for rescuing. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for protecting. Thank you for providing. And I pray it in his name. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week. You're dismissed.